everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Oh, the Louisiana Raging Cajuns get back on track. Snap a two-game losing skid with a dominant win over the ULM Warhawks last night in the Cajun Dome as they try to keep pace for the regular season championship. And they got some help as Southern Miss got absolutely mollywopped by South Alabama. Nothing like a good old 30-point road defeat. To make you go, say what? What? You just got beat by one of the worst teams in the conference by 30 points? Okay. Maybe Bob Marlin was right after all. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your host, the big, bald, and beautiful one. Of course, I'm joined inside the studios by Dawson Iserlow, a.k.a. d He's going to get you ready for the weekend. I'm going to get you ready for the weekend. What we got on taps this morning? How about Daytona 500 preview when Toby Christie from tobychristie.com will stop by to join us? How about NBA All-Star break? We're going to talk about it, preview it. Get Dan Favalli's thoughts on what teams are contenders and what teams are pretenders at the break. Byron Starks will stop by, LSUE men's basketball coach. His team's final home game of the regular season is Saturday, of course. They're right there again in contention for another conference title, looking to make a deep playoff run. And Justin Hill, the McNeese baseball skipper, the most winningest coach in McNeese baseball history. We'll stop by as well. His team opens up at home at the Joe today, taking on Crichton to open up the season. Expectations are a regional appearance, as always, for the Cowboys. That's what we got lined up for you this morning. We'll also talk a little LSU women's basketball. They had a tough game on their hands last night. They were able to pull out a win, despite no one else on the roster, not named Angel Reese, wanting to help. Yeah, I got some thoughts there. It gives me a little bit of pause on whether or not this team can make a run. Just saying. And, of course, we'll get to the latest breaking news as well. But we're going to start off with the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. The second half wasn't the best. They got a little sloppy with the basketball ULM started to shoot the ball better than they had in the the first half but I'm not as negative as that as some will be when you're up on a team by 30 points and they barely have 10 points at the break they're not going to play that way in the second half it's going to be a more competitive game in the second half that's basketball I don't care how good you are or how bad the opponent is. It's just not going to happen. ULM was on the struggle bus 
They barely had double-digit points at the break. They were going to play better in the second half. But what I liked from what I saw from the Cajuns, even though the Warhawks shot a little bit better in the second half, and even though the Cajuns got a little sloppy with the basketball at times, didn't have great possessions, some bad shots were taken. It was a total team effort. Themis Folks set the tone by scoring 14 of the team's first 21 points when they raced out to a lead. He just came out and said, boom, I'm taking over. Like It was just one of those things he just came right out, said, no, making shots, stealing the basketball. This is how it's going to be. And he set the tone for the rest of the team because when you look at the box score, Jordan Brown ended up getting 15.7 rebounds. Terrence Lewis, the second. Not for sure why he's not junior. I have to keep forgetting to ask that question. It's okay. I looked this up last night while in the arena. I think it does depend on the – you can do it for different reasons, but the main reason I have found, the most traditional reason to be the second, is if you're named after someone that's not your father. So let's say you skip a generation named after the grandfather. You're not junior. You're then the second. Oh, outstanding. This man steps up. 17 from Themis. Greg Williams had a bounce-back game. It was a rough start to the game for him, but he did a very nice job of getting some shots to drop, especially in the second half, and he played good defense. But even he didn't have a vintage night, but Kentrell Garnett, 12 points. They got seven points from Joe Charles. They got nine points off the bench from Kobe Julian, who gave them a nice spark. They had even four points from Chancellor White. Everyone contributed. Terrence Lewis also contributed by nearly knocking a poor woman out of her seat while diving for a loose ball, which was a scary moment. Not only because you were worried about him, but you were already worried about the woman who also had a baby nearby. <laughs> Just was like, well, well, what's happening? It wasn't the cleanest second half. Bob even admitted as much afterwards. That said, Dawson, I liked what I saw. Total team effort. They came out there. They set the tone. And every time, especially there in the second half, when ULM was able to cut it down to like 13 or 12, somebody stepped up for the Cajuns and scored a couple buckets, uh, buckets and got a couple defensive rebounds every single time. And that's what I want to see. They closed it out. After not being able to close it out against Troy, and they even mentioned that, Themis and Kentrell mentioned it when they were walking into the presser and someone mentioned something, hey, you know, blah, 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 and I said, yeah, we should have beat Troy. Like, this is a team that's still kind of pissed off about the fact that they let the Troy game get away from them. I yeah. like that. I like the fact that they have that mentality. So I'm 100% going to get to the Cajuns. Can I, I just want to clarify one thing real quick, because I might be wrong here. The team from the Big East Conference that goes by the Blue Jays, is that Creighton? You said Crichton. Is it Crichton? Have I been wrong this whole time? It could be Crichton. Okay. I thought it was Crichton. But Crichton, I just Crichton. To... I don't cover them, so I don't care. That's fair. Okay. <laughs> just wanted to make sure I didn't have things. This man's there. coming in at 6'10 and wants to correct already. Are you the new Clint Domain? By the way, he's the great corrector around here. In case you I just, I, look, I, I wanted, if I was the one that was wrong, I wanted to be able to change myself. Is it Creighton? Is it, I, is it the ACL? I've always heard Creighton. All right. They'll be in, you know, NCAA tournaments coming up. They're always a good basketball team. I wanted to make sure I had it right, filling out my bracket. All right. Creighton, Creighton. They're Either the Blue way, Jays. They are the Blue Jays. So, there we go. 
Yeah, I, I didn't love the second half. I, I'm a little bit more concerned about it than you were just because it's not the first time they've done this. Um, now, it doesn't bother me a ton because every time they've seemingly let up in the second half, it was because the lead was, like, ridiculously large. They haven't been up, you know, 8, 10 points at the break and then just completely come out flat in the second half. So, yeah, it's pretty hard to try to lose a game when you're up by 30 at halftime. They were up by 31. So there was never – it was never <laughs> yeah. in doubt, but – like I'd have rathered it been a scenario where guys who weren't really playing that much came in and struggled, and you know the league got cut back into. But I mean, it was mostly the same guys. Chancellor White got some minutes, and he doesn't usually get uh, you know minutes in conference play. Joe but. Charles had seventeen. Jalen Dalcourt, who still is you know he struggled last night. He he didn't find a shot. He played eleven minutes. Isaiah Richards played nine minutes. Kobe Julian played thirteen. I liked what I saw out of him. Yeah. Um, Michael Thomas played almost 11 minutes. So everyone got playing time last night. I liked, though, you know, there was nice sequences in the game after Themis had started off with the first 14 of the 21. And then they had that nice sequence where, where it was like Garnett and Julian and like Jordan Brown, just back-to-back possessions, and Yulem didn't do anything. And credit the Cajuns because Yolim's best player, their best scorer, went without a bucket until late in this game. He only scored three points. Yeah, this team, uh, I don't have a number on it to give you, but outside of the Georgia Southern game, this team might be one of the best teams in the country in the first like six to eight minutes of games. And that takes a lot of pressure off. Like, I mean, how many times has this team been up double digits at like the first or second media timeout? And that they jump is... out. They are very aggressive right out the gate. You'd like to see that coming out of the third. I mean, you coming out in the second half. You thought you saw that last night when Folks drains another three pointer, and you're like, "Hey, here we go." But then ULM started kind of chipping away. They started having their buckets started. You know, they started to to, to drop in their shots. You know, when you look at the box score for this team. The Warhawks in the first half, they were 27% from the field. They only made six buckets. That's it. Six field goals. That's it. I liked what I saw out of the Cajuns' defense last night. Now, they got a little loose with it. This happens when you're up by 31. Like, you know, Kevin and I were sitting there on media row and just going, do you look at the score? Do you see what the score is for this game? It looked like a football score at the break. And we're like, ULM's going to make a, a run. Because basketball is all about runs. And the Warhawks did, and credit them, they tried to claw back into this game. But once again, every time it got dangerously close, Bob didn't need to take a timeout either. Like That's the other part that I liked about what I saw is the guys themselves, Dawson, said, okay, we don't need to take a timeout here. We don't need to get a reset or anything like that. We're just going to, okay, enough is enough. It's time It's time to execute and step up. And everyone across the board did it. Now, we haven't seen a lot of good play from Kobe Julian of late. Remember when he came back from the injury? He played pretty well. I think he had like double-digit points in a couple games. And then he hasn't really been a factor. If you can get Kobe to come off the bench for you and get you double-digit points, he nearly had it last night. He had nine. But if he can get you nine to, say, 11 points a night coming off the bench, if he's one of those guys, 
they're in great shape for the conference tournament because he's a guy that can score you a bunch of buckets in a hurry. And if you got him just coming off the bench and he can get you double-digit points coming off the bench, Dawson, they're going to be in great shape. Yeah, he's a volume scorer when he gets it going, and he also does some things on the defensive mm-hmm. end. Uh, really high basketball IQ guy as well. Makes some plays that, Absolutely. that he sees the floor a little bit better than a lot of guys, so that's that's good to see. And I mean, look, you're, everything's back in front of you, right? Southern Miss, they uh, they wow. look bad, and... You know, I may or may not your your producer may may or may not have said that they were due to play poorly on Kevin Foot's show yesterday. So, did you expect them to play that poorly? No, obviously, I don't think anyone could have expected them to play. Once that again, that's an away game for them. Yeah, and and South Alabama is look, you know, they have athletes. You did say they, they were a bad team. Out. They've played really well over the last month or two, and I actually tweeted it after the game last night. They're approaching quote that team you don't want to play in the Sunbelt tourney territory because they're going to come in as a middling seed probably seven or eight seed and they're not the type of team you want to have to play in the first or second round or your first or second game of course Cajuns and you know others will have the double bye but um but yeah no Southern Miss has played when you play as well as they have for that long in the conference is as, is as deep as it is this year you were due for a game like that but there's of gonna course, be a things stinker were compounded things there's gonna be compounded. a stinker right and they had theirs last night now Old Dominion lost to JMU. That was a single-digit game, though, at the end. But that game, for, for Southern Miss, they have their final home game Saturday. They wrap up their season on the road. And they have to do the weird road thing where they have to go to Old Dominion, I do believe, on Thursday and then come back and then go all the way to San Marcos on Saturday next week. That's brutal. Like, we talk about how bad it's going to be for the Cajuns to go to JMU. You know, they're taking the charter flight. You don't think it's a big deal, but traveling across, you know, they they have to go to Old Dominion, which is on their side of the country, so that's not that big of a deal. No, no, not I'm talking about Southern Miss. So Southern Miss is, is going to have to fly out to Old Dominion and then fly back home and then fly out again to San Marcos. That wears on the on a team. It just does. It, it's not easy. We, we think, oh, they just get on a plane. The, the, the travel and everything that comes with that, why do you think the Cajuns are chartering a flight to James Madison? Well, and also remember they're college students, so you have classes and stuff. The semester's picking mm. up at this point of the year, and – but if you don't think it matters that much, just take a look at the conference standings and who's played in the home records versus the away records. I mean, it's unbelievable how many more games are won at home in this conference. But, yeah, the only thing, if you're a Cajuns fan, you you would probably have preferred the Old Dominion game to be the second of that back-to-back there because yeah. Texas State has faded now. They're down to 5-10 and 10 in conference play. They're so. not what they've been. They're and not if what they've you been. Get, you get the feeling if Southern Miss gets the victory, which, of course, they still got to win this weekend. Um, of course, if UL loses, you know, that it's changes things. It's, but it's, yeah. Not for Southern Miss because Marshall will still be in the picture. Um, but if they get that win and they, they're they heading to San Marcos with the regular season title on the line, I would imagine they're going to have enough juice to get that win just because of everything that they'll have at stake. But either way, the, the door's back open now. You, you handled your business mm-hmm. last night. Southern Miss did not. And now Southern Miss has to play with that in the back of their heads. Whereas if they still had that two-game cushion, you know they'd probably be playing a lot looser come Saturday. So anything can happen in this conference. Again, there's not... 
you know, look, Arkansas State's not very good. Georgia State's pretty bad. Um, outside of those two teams, though, Texas State and Coastal are kind of like in that tier of you, you should beat them if you play well. Once you get past those teams, like anybody in this conference can beat anybody. Anybody has seven or eight wins in conference play. So, you know, you don't want to have to run into a team like Georgia Southern or Troy on the wrong night. Um, so, Oh, and by the way, the Cajuns have to close out against South Alabama. Yeah. Um, a, team uh, that's, a week from tonight. A team that's, depending on where they are in the seating and stuff, could have a lot to play for. Uh, and again, is playing really, really well. And you know, do they still have that really over the top annoying head coach? Yes, they do. Richie Riley. Oh, they sure do. The first time I, first time I saw him, I got to saw him in action a couple of years ago in Pensacola, when the Jaguars played the Cajuns, and they had to play in Bob's old gym, his old junior college gym, because that was we were still coming right out of COVID, Dawson. So they had to split some of the games over at the junior college and some of the games at the Civic Center. And I just remember thinking by the end of the first quarter. Because Kevin and I were behind the South Alabama bench. They had plexiglass, because we're still coming out of the pandemic, plexiglass dividers, right? So we were sitting in like a little cubby hole of, of plexiglass. And I remember thinking, oh, man, I can't wait for this game to be in. Like, I, I am a objective person. I don't root for the Raging Cajuns, right? I didn't go to school here. I, I just cover them. But I remember going, man, I really, I really hope they smoke this team. Like, Formerly of Nichols, actually. A little bit of a local tie for oh, Richard Riley at one guy point. guy was just too much. He's extra. Yeah, he's over the top. <laughs> he's too much. He's too much for me. He's just too much, dude. Too much. we got to take a time out. When we come back, we'll hear from Bob Marlin, Themis Folks. That's coming up right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Hey, good first half. I thought Themis Folks got us off to a great start, hit some big buckets for us, gave us a little momentum. Uh, Kentrell took out Blackman for the most part, uh, all game, but he did it in the first half. I think they only had one three-point field goal at the half. The second half, Blackman got his one field goal on a, on a kickout uh, on an offensive rebound, and we missed a blockout. But he's one for ten, one for five. Played 38 minutes and scored four points, three points. So good job there. Everything went well in the first half. Uh, we talked about the last two halves that we'd had last week, and we came out and uh, let them make some three-point shots. They are the leading three-point shooting team in the conference ahead of us, by the way, after our performance last weekend. We won the three-point game tonight. I thought that was that was big for us to have. Uh, six turnovers for the game. You know, we had 20 in Monroe. That was huge. Uh, and we were able to to coast in. You know, obviously we won the game in the first half. And uh, But if you told me we we're going to beat Monroe by 17, I would have taken it from the jump. Bob Marlin talking to the media after last night's 84-67 to win at home in the Cajun Dome. And look, he, he acknowledged, hey, 
things got, you know, didn't go exactly the right way in the second half. But the turnovers was huge in this game. They only had six. They only had six. Like, you're going to take that all day long. And it wasn't like Monroe didn't try to play good defense. They just, Cajuns were better. Absolutely better. And we talked about it to start off the show. It's tough to kind of keep your foot on the gas, so to speak, and stay locked in when you're up by 30. They were actually up by 31 at the break and then pushed that to 34 <laughs> early in the in the second half. And Marlon talked about how difficult that is. Yes, partly. And they hit a couple of shots, hit a couple of tough shots. I got some old, uh, old rebounds. I thought Bafuto played really good before fouling out. And Thomas Howell hit a couple of timely threes. Uh, thought he, he had a good game, too, there in, in a stretch. Uh, I thought Greg did a good job on the court. You know, he's a good player, too. And we got him frustrated a little bit. Uh, but the big swing in the game is what a potential 11-point play. We've got the ball and Jalen gets an intentional foul, they get two two free throws and the ball. And, you know, was it five or eight-point differential right there? I mean, that was huge. And uh, we can't have that. Bob always mentions, I've never attended a post-game press conference by Bob Marlin where he doesn't point out something sometimes – most of the time unprompted about what they did wrong and what they can do better. I've never been to one. He always does that. I like that. It's an old school kind of coach of, hey, yeah, it's great. We did this, but you know what? We could have done this. This could have been better. That's unacceptable. We got to work on that. I like that. I I, I do. I, I do. And and I think for the most part, kids respond to that. I just do. Yeah, last night, again, we, we can't amplify it too much because they were up by 34. Um, but if you do want to be a little concerned with something, that's three straight second halves that they have not played well at all in. They've been outscored severely in the second half of all three of these recent games. So, obviously, in Harrisonburg, you're not going to be up by 34 early in the second half. Nope. If you are, then I'd be very excited about where this team's headed. But you need to play well in the second. And I'm going to be specifically paying attention, no matter what the score is at half, if you're down by a few, if you're up by a few, whatever, uh, how does this team look in the second half? Can they finally put together a really good second half? And hopefully it's not a situation where they're down big at the break and then play well in the second half just to cut into a big lead. Let's see this team play two consistent halves of basketball and hopefully get a big road win and still have everything in front of them looking at a regular season title opportunity if Southern Miss slips up. Your threat level yesterday was only a 2.2. Does that change after last night? Because of No, the maybe half? goes maybe even goes down a little bit just because of how dominant they were early. And again, this Monroe team, like, give them credit. And I thought it was really impressive how they fought in the second half because, you know, look, we they were sitting I was sitting up near where they go in for the tunnel. I mean, they looked dejected at halftime, as any team would down thirty. And they only they play a short rotation of guys. They lost three or four guys who fouled out during the course of the mm-hmm. second half. And they still never quit. So, I mean, look, I, you know, I made fun of Monroe yesterday, and I do enjoy beating them and everything and hope we continue to do so. But <laughs> I was impressed with the fight of Monroe, and they've put together, again, they were picked at the bottom of the league, and they're 7-8 and eight in conference play. So they've, 
They were 7-4 and four at one point. They're struggling now. But either way, no, I'm a little less concerned just because the Cajuns got back to what we wanted them to look like. They shot the ball well. They did everything that they needed to do in the first half. So, yeah, we'll see what happens on Saturday at JMU. I'm with you. And we'll wrap up our thoughts here on the Cajuns. I want to see how they play in the second half. And even if they don't win at JMU, and look, it'd be great if they could because then they're going to force the issue and hope that Southern Miss drops another game so they can get a share of the regular season title that would ensure that they get to go to the NIT no matter what, right? And and that's what you want. You don't want this team to win 24, 25 games and then not go to a significant postseason tournament, end up going to the CBI of the Florida Panhandle or whatever. No. But I want to see how they play in the second half. Because if they can improve and stop this trend, if you will, of playing poorly and being outscored in the second half of ball games, if they can start reversing that, I really like their chances to make a run at the conference tournament and possibly win the conference tournament. Because here's the thing. We, we talk about you know Southern Miss. We just saw Southern Miss get trucked by 30 points at South Alabama. We've seen Marshall. Didn't Marshall lose to ULM this season? At home. At home. Any team in this league can be beat. We've seen it throughout the entire season. As much as great as Southern Miss is, and they're top the standings, and UL's right there with them, and Marshall's right there with them, and JMU and Old Dominion and Troy, they're all right there, okay? There isn't a perfect team. There isn't a dominant team in the league. Any one of those five or six teams can win the conference tournament. And guess what? When the brackets come out, half the field's going to be on one side of the bracket, aren't they? If the Cajuns can figure out how to play better second-half basketball, and I think they took a step in that direction last night because they were able to still win the game and hold on and make enough plays to maintain it and, and thwart the comeback, if you will. But I just, I just want to see them play good second-half basketball. I don't care if they win or lose against JMU on Saturday. I just want to see them play better second-half basketball. I would mostly agree with that. And, and the other thing to take a look at, as you're mentioning, you know, who's going to be in the conference tournament and the way the bracket's going to shape out. You look at the top four. There's a clear top four I think we can agree on in the conference right now. And maybe a team like Troy is kind of, you know, hanging around and right. worthy of consideration there. But UL is one of those top four. We've seen how they play against Marshall. They match up pretty well. They, they obviously can beat Marshall. We've seen how they play against Southern Miss. Look, the second time didn't go well, but the first time they dominated them. They dominated them. So they clearly have a chance there. We'll see on Saturday, and I am excited to see how they match up. James Madison's got a couple of really physical guards who play, yep. and I want to see how that goes. Because, uh, But Themis and Cantrell have defended well. Maybe the bit of a size thing. It's a couple of bigger guards, if, I am, you know, if I'm not mistaken. So, but even the loss, look, you lost to Old Dominion, but I felt pretty good about the way you matched up there. You just shot the basketball horribly in the first half. And that they was battled. on the road. They battled back and played well in the second half, so I don't have a ton of concerns there. Troy, again, we've seen them lose a game, but also dominate Troy. And Coastal, who you lost to, we can all agree that was probably a bit of a fluky game. So there's nobody in this tournament where you're going to sit there, and even in years past when some of the really good UL teams, you sat there and go, man, Georgia State, they're just loaded this year. They're just loaded. I don't know how the Cajuns really match up, even if they have a better conference record. This year, you feel pretty good about anybody you come up against as long as the Cajuns play well in Pensacola. So... That, that's a good feeling to have heading into the tournament. And now, again, handle your business. You're going to be a top-four seed. If everything works right, maybe you win the regular season title. If not, 
you still going to have a good shot. Still have a chance to win the conference tournament and punch your ticket to the NCAAs. And that's all that matters. Got to take a time out. More RP3 and Company coming up right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Go subscribe to The Game's YouTube channel at The Game Louisiana. That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Ah, oh, Raging Cajuns keep pace in the quest for a Sunbelt Conference regular season championship with a win last night, 84-67 over ULM. I want to give a shout out to two guys that I got to meet last night at the game. They listened to the show. Got to give a shout out to Sean. Sean is also known as the Candy Corn Man for Kevin Foote. You'll know this, Dawson. He hooks up Kevin with all these different flavors of candy corn. So I told him, so you're the one that we need to blame for all of that terribleness coming into the studio. <laughs> But no, he was nice as can be. And then uh, also shout out to Jacob who listens to our show in the morning. So appreciate Jacob and Sean for both listening to RP3 and company, man. It's always nice to be told someone checks out the show and makes us part of their morning. So shout out to them. Absolutely. I, you know what I still, while you said corn and foot, I got to try his street corn thing that he's been obsessed about, which I've had street corn before, but I don't know if you've heard this, but Kevin Foot is obsessed with street corn. So then I thought, you know, oh, he meant he went to a nice Mexican restaurant or a different restaurant that serves it. I found out he's all fired up. This street corn he buys is from the can in the store or whatever. Now, apparently, I mean, maybe, I don't know, his wife makes it really well. Maybe she adds something to it or whatever. But I, he talked it up a lot, and then I was like, wait, it's just store-bought. So then everyone, of course, was calling in saying, no, you got to get the real stuff. So, But I got I to gotta get that soon. Footsie will also tell you that you need to put your corn on top of your rice and gravy. Anytime you have I mean, the rice I'm and gravy, I'm a have big time on. like green peas. Whenever I would make, whenever whenever we had stew or something like that, I always got to mix the green peas in. There's, oh man, see, you're the perfect producer for him. Already on board for mixing the vegetables into the. That's <laughs> already that's already greatness. <laughs> already poll question of the day: Will you be watching, listening to the Daytona 500 on Sunday? We'll be previewing that with Toby Christie later on on today's show. Right now, overwhelmingly, the 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 votes here are going towards against against the Great American Race. Seventy one percent of you say no. There's no football. I'm disappointed in in the in the listeners a little bit. Yeah, I know college baseball is starting. You can do both things. NBA is All Star Break. That won't be until Sunday night, right? It's a great American race. It's a great American race. 71% of you say no. 25% say yes. 4% say maybe. Let's get to some comments because I'm sure they won't be <laughs> salty at all. Um, JPK, the OD, says yes. Huge NASCAR fan, at least until the Mariners open the season on March 30th. Plus, the Breakers betrayed my trust and lied to me about playing home games in season two, so they are dead to me. Yeah, I want to talk about that for a second. 
I'm all about spring football. Okay. I'm old enough to remember the original version of the USFL where all of a sudden there was professional spring football and they actually had legitimately good players. A lot of guys that would go on to be into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Jim Kelly, Steve Young, just to name a few. Bandit ball down in Tampa. Okay, it was fun. I remember it early. Herschel Walker, of course, didn't go to the NFL at first. He went to the USFL. It was a big deal. So I remember what it's supposed to be. Now, I've sat through the Alliance XFL 1, XFL 2.0, XFL 3.0 is coming with The Rock now in charge. Good luck. But the USFL, they bring back the old Breakers, which is, of course, the New Orleans franchise. I was like, that's nice. A little bit of nostalgia. I, I, I like myself a little bit of nostalgia. But the whole thing was, hey, guys, year one, all of our games will be played in Birmingham while we get things up and running. But year two, going to be at home. And then, no. Instead, this season for the USFL is going to be essentially in pods where half the teams are going to be playing in Birmingham and the other half are going to be playing in Michigan. Okay, that seems like a great way to grow the game is not have them play in front of home fans. I just I'm ready for the USFXL merger <laughs> to create a super spring football league and then compete with the with the NFL or, you know. I mean, that's the other thing too. I I like it. Again, it's I'm not going to complain. I like and I again, I'm not a diehard. I can't tell you the, you know, the starting right guard of the Breakers, but you oh, know, I'll, I can't either. Look, if they're on, I'm going to watch it. If I have nothing else to watch and, you know, whatever. But I do think, like, all this, which, how many years did we go with none of it? And now, all of a sudden, everybody wants to do it. Everyone's trying to make it work. It feels like if everyone combined the resources. And and now the Arena League's coming back, which, look, I was a New Orleans voodoo season ticket holder back in the day. And I still think it's the best logo in sports. I have a voodoo boomstick somewhere at the house. Yes. That logo and and the whole I mean everything about it just the I mean Bones the mascot That's Mojo great. the secondary mascot the how about two scheme. mascots on an arena football the color team? scheme was great everything was perfect yeah. yes. but anyway all you have all these different leagues and it's like again I guess these people are all their own entities so they don't want to do it but if everybody pulled their resources together and tried to create one substantial league I feel like maybe you'd have a chance to have something gain some traction here but. Now everybody's you got to keep track of who's in the XFL and who's in the USFL. So you have and, XFL and USFL and arena, and you're going to have arena football come back. So it's just too much. Like we are football crazy to an extent. Like I think we can accept one non NFL league out there, like one during the off season. But now we're going to get to the point where we're going to have three of them. That's way too much. You're splitting all the viewership. It's not going to work. It's just not. All three are going to fail because of it. Yeah, and I don't have time for a full rant, but people are trying to ruin college football and make it pro sports anyway and just take the elite teams and let them play each other every year. So then we'll have four sport professional sports leagues and ruin the pageantry and the beauty that is college football. But we'll have that rant a different day. Let's get to some more comments. Salty Steve says, if I answered this, it would be the end of No Salt Friday. That's that's Steve's way of saying that he is not a NASCAR fan. Ralph says, would I watch the Super Bowl at the beginning of the season? 
Question mark. Let's move March Madness to October. He also shared a, a gif of Ricky Bobby running around in his underwear pretending to be on fire. John Paul, Cajun Daddy, says no. Is the black hole of sports for me end of football to regionals of college baseball? But we have two spring football leagues to watch this year, USFL and XFL. Ton Mambo. I love Ton going with Ton Mambo now. Maybe, but likely not. If I need a nap, maybe I'll pop it on. They're making a left turn. They're making another left turn. Admit it, the only reason most people tune in is for the wrecks. Would you like to respond to that, Dawson? I'm going to do my best this year to make make NASCAR fans out of people. Um, so, like, look, I, I know the left turn argument. If you don't understand what you're watching, then you're not going to enjoy it. That's fine. But <laughs> if you take some time to start understanding some of the strategy, <laughs> some of the intricacies of it, I mean, there's there's like... There's probably more going on in a NASCAR race than in a football game if you knew what you were looking at and kind of understanding. And I know it's complex and complicated, but if you listen and look, Larry McReynolds, some of the analysts over on the NASCAR networks like do an unbelievable job of it. So I would say, I mean, give it a chance. Now, I know people aren't going to, so that's fine, but there's a, a lot chance, going on. Give it a chance for Dawson. Give it a chance for Dawson. D'Lo wants you to give it a chance, people. Come on now. LC Izzle. I better see some F1 talk out, out of y'all once the season starts March 3rd to the 5th in Bahrain. Can we do that? Can we? I'll do a little F1 for sure. Oh, LC D-Lo's going to take Max care of Verstappen? you. Max for Oh, see? And Dad Cajun says, I enjoy the anticipation of Rex. Keep those votes coming for our poll question of the day. Keep those comments coming as well. Will you be watching, listening to the Daytona 500 on Sunday? Oh, man, we got to take a time out when we come back. News about Evelyn Kamara, and it's not great. Next, here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Game cake season is here, and break rooms are being filled with those delicious sugar-coated pastries. That is so sweet. Just don't be the guy or gal who gets the plastic baby and lies about it. Come on. Come on, really. Step up and do the right thing, cheapskate, and buy the next cake. Back to more of the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Raging Cajuns win last night. We talked a lot about that. The LSU women held on for a win. We'll talk about that coming up next hour. We'll also talk about the McNeese men getting themselves another win. Shout out to the Cowboys. Now won three straight. Another overtime win for John Aiken's team. Apparently, the bottom of the Southland Conference decided to start winning games, which is going to make things interesting coming down the stretch. So lots of good news, Dawson. Lots of good news for us to discuss this morning. And here you go. And here I come. Uh, we expected this. At least I did. From jump. Especially after I saw the video. I was like, yep. Yeah, you're not going to be able to talk yourself out of that one. Las Vegas Grand Jury yesterday has officially indicted Alvin Kamara and three of his members of his entourage. in they're still calling an alleged beating. Las Vegas Grand Jury indicted the Saints all-pro pro Bowl running back 
and three others following the alleged beating at a nightclub in February 2022. That was during Pro Bowl weekend in Las Vegas. On charges of conspiracy to commit battery as well as battery resulting in substantial bodily harm. Khmer's next court date has been set for March 2nd, which is right around the corner. In Nevada District Court, the NFL has not commented on the incident. While following its standard procedure and letting the legal process play out before handing down any discipline. But Kamara is likely to face a six-game suspension once it's concluded for violating the league's personal conduct policy. He remained with the Saints throughout the 2022 season because there was nothing done with the courts. Well, now he's officially been indicted. He's going to get suspended for at least six games. Go ahead and mark it. And that will happen this season. Probably regardless of the outcome of the court case. Just because of how the NFL usually operates in these situations. And the way Goodell operates. Does that change how the Saints approach their offseason? So, I thought about not really. Because, again, as we've talked about, the running back room needs work anyway. Um, It's fair. Yes. Does it maybe give... Now, do the Saints... And I'm sure they've already kind of been having these thoughts and these conversations. Is the long-term picture around Kamara different? Yeah. Maybe even regardless of this legal situation coming up, that might have been the case because, you know, that's how the league is. You can't afford, we've seen it with Dallas, you can't, you know, like paying running backs huge money is just not the way to do things anymore. So they needed to address the running back room regardless. I would prefer them to go get somebody in the draft. I think there's a lot of good options. You don't Bijan have to Robinson spend. would be. If you're going to go, t- if you're going to go first round or second round, yeah, Bijan. I think Ty J. Spears from Tulane would be a fantastic oh, fit. Oh, man, oh, that'd be awesome. But there's other guys, too. Again, running back, the running back position, it's a, it's a place to get younger at. There's a ton of veterans available as well. So it doesn't change a ton, in my opinion, because they needed to address it anyway. And even if Kamara didn't or doesn't get suspended, you still need to improve that room behind him. Um, does it maybe give you a little bit more incentive, you know, incentive to spend maybe a second or first-round pick instead of a third or fourth-round pick? Maybe so. And maybe if Spears if they, or if Spears, I don't think Robinson's going to be there at forty. Not. But if Spears is there, I'd be fine with it. I'd take him all day long if I'm the Saints. Draft the draft the running back in the second round, and, that, and now you get your insurance policy, and now you, now you got your guy that is going to be Kamara's replacement. And again, as we're wrapping up here, but the Saints have proven that they're willing to draft running backs. They've done it before, and they'll probably do it again. They're so. very good at it, by the way. Hour number one in the books, hour number two coming up. We'll kick it off with Justin Hill, McNeese baseball coach. That's next right here on The Game. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Welcome back to RP3 and Company on this Friday edition of the show. We're getting you geared up for the weekend. Half an hour from right now, Byron Starks 
LSUE men's basketball coach will be joining us. Their final home game of the regular season will be Saturday on the Cajun Prairie. Of course, keep voting on our poll question of the day. Leave those comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll make sure to share them throughout today's show. I promise. Dawson, he may not want to share them, but I will. That's my pledge to you, the listener. Speaking of coaching, speaking of great coaching, our first guest today here on RP3 and Company is just that. He took over a decade ago as the head baseball coach of the Menice Cowboys program. You know what he's done? Well, he's only won the regular season championship a few times. He's only won the conference tournament championship a few times. He's taken the Cowboys to not one, but two NCAA regionals. Last year, they finished as runner-up in the conference tournament. He's got a slew of returning starters back off of that team, including maybe the best player in the entire conference. He's McNeese's all-time winningest baseball coach, our old friend, Justin Hill joins us now here on RP3 and Company. Coach, good morning to you, brother. How are you? I'm good, man. It's uh, it's always a, a pleasure to get to talk to you, especially this time of year, man. It's uh, that means we're getting started. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's cold, it's rainy. I mean, that's how you start college baseball season, isn't it? That's exactly how you said it, brother. <laughs> this will be year number ten for you at the helm, right? That's right. That's right. Uh, has time flown by since you've taken the job? Does it feel like you've been at the helm of the Cowboys for a decade? Well, uh, you know, in some ways, yes. You know, I, I think, you know, anytime you go through a couple of things that, you know, everybody went through with the COVID and the stuff after that, it kind of uh, it, it, it kind of puts a few things. Some things slow down there. But, you know, time flies when you're having fun. And, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's like it's hard to remember when you weren't here. And in uh, and, and a lot of ways, it's hard to imagine not being here. Um, so, uh, it's great, you know. It's just, but, but time keeps moving, and uh, so I'm I'm very grateful. It's not. Uh, I, I know college athletics. You know, there's there's the volatility in coaching and uh, how it works, and, and there's different administrations and things like that. So it's not lost on me the fact that uh, we've gotten to do this for a decade now, and uh, I'm very grateful to it. Grateful for the opportunity. Glad to have good teams, and um, and got to have a lot of fun along the way. Is it more difficult to? build a winning program or is it more difficult to keep that program at the top coach yeah i, I mean I, I i think you know the, the the climb is always there the, the the fact is i think you have to realize that um either way you're you're, you're always starting at the bottom so you the the, the climb is, is is more challenging so the first time you, you you maybe sneak up on people they don't see you coming um and so i, I think the first one maybe sometimes in some ways easier um, because they're not paying attention to you, but you kind of kind of blaze the trail. But then after you see how it works, then you may have some opposition on the other side. Um, and then, you know, you got, you, got you, you maybe get people's best games and you know, you're nobody's ever going to uh, look over you, take you for granted midweek games, things like that. So uh, they both have their own challenges, but you know, the, the, you know, the, the fact of, and I wouldn't say staying there, it's more like getting back there. Uh, it becomes there because the reality of it is, Man, you can't live at the mountaintop. <laughs> That's just not how it works, man. I mean, there's not a whole lot of space, um, and the air's thin, and there's not much food there. I mean, you gotta you gotta go back down and start over and start the climb again. What's the thing that you've learned more than anything in your ten years at the helm of the program that maybe you didn't realize when you first took the job? Uh, you know, I mean, I, I think in some ways I, that I, that I believed it, uh, but now it, it's just probably. 
uh, more firm uh, in that. And, and, and I've always known it's been about people. It's been about, you know, the people that you work with day in and day out. It's about the players, it's about the coaches. Uh, you got to have good players to be good. I mean, that's just the bottom line. You can be the best coach in America. Uh, if you don't have good players, you not you don't have a chance. I mean, it takes both of those. Uh, the people you spend the most time with outside your family would need to be your coaching staff. They got to be people you trust and people you count on um, and people you enjoy being around them. Uh, I think those things and, and, and being able to hang on to them. So, um, and, and, and like, here's the deal. I, I think we get all wrapped up in the championships and the, and, and the pursuit of those is great. And so if we're going to play 65 games this year, uh, I'm honestly probably more focused on the other 300 days is, is really kind of been my focus. And uh, because the games and stuff to me are for the kids and for me to get out of the way and just help them. Uh, but this, the other 300 days, do you enjoy being around those people? Do you enjoy putting in the work? And, um, and so it's just learning how to do that. And uh, I'm sure I've, I've, I've mellowed in some way and probably become more stubborn and hard-headed in others. And, um, so it, it's been a, it's been a, a just a, a beautiful journey in, in getting to do that. So, but, uh, that was a great question. I haven't had that one yet. So it makes, it means I'm getting, I'm getting to those old guy questions now. So I appreciate that. Oh, you're, you're getting to be my age, bud. So there you go. <laughs> that's what that, that's what that means. We're talking with McNeese baseball skipper, Justin Hill. He joins us here on RP3 and company. Last year, you guys have a great season. Uh, you guys uh, end up going to the conference tournament championship round. You take on Southeastern. They are able to win the final two games to win that series and win the, the tournament and punch their ticket to an NCAA regional. What was the message to your guys afterwards after just falling just short of getting back to yet another NCAA regional? Well, I mean, I, I – you know, the thing that I told them, I, I still remember them telling them immediately, man, you, you've got to, I mean, it, it takes really special people. You have to do a whole lot. Uh, you have to earn the right to hurt that bad um, because you were right there. You're on the cusp of it the game before. There's a tight play at the plate. It went to review, call stood. We couldn't quite overcome it. There was just, you know, uh, that that's just the game. You know, it happens. And, you know, our, our team wasn't defined by one 24-hour period of, success not success whatever uh there were so many streaks and runs that our team went on and uh and did some things so uh it, it you know and that's the hard part about the end of the season it, it it does there's no gradual stop to it and that that's one of the things that happens for our sports uh that doesn't happen with others i mean man school's out classes are over you know the campus is closed there's lots of things that are that are done already and when our season ends within 48 hours everything's put up and the boys are gone. So it, it, it happens very suddenly. Um, it, it, it's you're on this journey, this long journey, spending the time. And then, like I said, within 24 to 48 hours, I mean, the, the, the whole thing's over. And so it, it's really about just trying to enjoy as much as you can when you are, when you're there, because, um, you know, it, it, it could end, it could end really quickly. It could end, at the, you know, when you lose your last game or when you win your last game, uh, or, you know, injuries and, you know, other things that, that kind of happen. So, you know, it, it's just one of those, just try to try to enjoy where you're at. But, you know, last year, man, it's last year. And, and we're going to, you know, hopefully build off the success we had. And uh, But, yeah, uh, I, I'm sure there's some guys that are motivated by that, that, that runner-up trophy. Um, you know, we've got another trophy sitting right next to it. But um, I, I, it's just like winning, though, man. It, it's, uh, it's like having – it's like money. It wins, it wins enough, you know. You always want one more. That's just kind of how it works. 
you guys were selected to repeat as regular season champs, and you had eight of your players named to the preseason All Southland Conference team, Coach. So, what is the expectation for this year's Cowboys? Well, I mean, it, it sounds funny. You know, we know we're not going to win all of them uh, this year, um, but we want to. We're going to try to win all of them. Uh, but if I ask the boys, well, if we know we're not going to win all of them, which ones are we going to lose? We go, well, we don't know. And so, um, you know, we're we're gonna we're gonna go out. And we're gonna try to have success and, and try to the, the first the first you know step along the journey is to figure out the identity, the true identity of this team. I've got an idea of what the identity is, but you really don't know who you are until you're until you're facing somebody else and they flip that scoreboard on and and everything starts to count. So um, it's figuring out who we are, how we have success, and uh, you know I, I you know. I think, you know, anything short of, you know, um, you know, our, a lot of our kids' goals, I mean, it's a championship. That's just kind of how it works in one way, shape, or form or multiple or whatever. Uh, but, you know, you, you don't typically do that on one day. That's an accumulation of days. And that's, you know, that starts – I mean, that's already – we've already started the process of that and in, in, in going through that. And just the next step along the journey is going to be getting, open it up uh, Friday night against Creighton and start figuring out who we are. I want to ask you about Peyton Harden because he's on the cusp of becoming – the program's all-time hits leader, your senior outfielder. We know what he can do with a bat in his hands. Why is he so good? What does he What does he do that we don't see when we come out to the ballpark, Coach? That makes him so great. Yeah, the, the just his he just has a relentless desire to win and uh, to be successful. He's he's hyper competitive, uh, hyper competitive to the point that sometimes you have to kind of calm him down. Uh, we had our last intra-squad game on Saturday, and uh, you know the the I'm going to use the term umpire loosely because it was one of our pitchers. You know he called the ball foul or called the ball fair when Peyton thought it was foul and ended up kind of opening up the floodgates. Well, he was he was livid. He was I mean, just hyper competitive kind of in that moment because you know his team went from winning to losing and. Um, that's a good thing. <laughs> that's a good thing. But uh, he just wants to win. He just wants to be successful. And he actually uh, had a media interview the other day, and he just he just wants to win in every single thing he does. You know, whether it's taking a test or whether it's uh, making sure that the, the, the things are cleaned up the way they're supposed to be, uh, or, or playing checkers. I mean, he just is, just has this relentless competitive, um, you know, desire that's in him that that is just very evident. You know, when you get around him, you get something you can't ignore. Coach, you begin the season against Creighton at home at Joe Miller Ballpark. What's it going to feel like when you go out there for first pitch and you actually get to have your season begin yet again? You know, the the, the feeling just doesn't go away. It just doesn't go away. It doesn't matter whether uh, you're, you know, uh, 15 years old playing your first varsity game. It doesn't matter if it's your uh, junior year, first time you're playing in, in your Division One or – uh, first time coaching. I mean, like it just doesn't. It, it, it all feels the same. There's this. There's this nervous energy, this excitement, anxiety. You, however you want to say it, it just. It means you care a whole lot. You put a lot of work into it, and um, it's going to be exciting, man. It's fun to turn the scoreboard on. It's fun to go, put your plan into place to see your boys go play. Um, it'll be exciting, and uh, like I said, it'll be the next step on our journey. And uh, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. Looks like the weather's going to be cold but dry, um, and we can handle cold. Uh, we can't. We can't beat the rain. Okay, we can't beat the rain, but we can sure fight the cold. And be all right with that. Coach, always appreciate your time. Can't wait to come out to the Joe and see you guys uh, play. Good luck this season, brother. And we'll be in touch. Thank you so much for the time. 
Much appreciated. Thanks a lot. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Great news, my sports-loving friend. No more aimlessly searching for sports talk love by swiping left or right. That's because you've already found the perfect match. For Sports Talk Love, that is... I'm ready for love. Now, back to the only lover you'll ever need. The game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. takes to win I know last game I didn't help my team win and mentally it was tough on me for the last past two days so I knew coming out tonight my team needed me and it was just about how I was going to respond tonight and I felt like I responded well and did what I could to get the win um I played 40 minutes tonight I I mean I, I don't know if I look tired but I was doing everything I could do to win and I just wanted to bounce back from last game because I feel like I let my team down that's Angel Reese who's more than likely going to be a first-team All-American, I would assume, for the LSU Tigers. They had their hands full last night against a very good Ole Miss team. That's going to be an NCAA tournament team, the Lady Rebels. Tigers get the win, bounce back from the loss to South Carolina on Sunday with a 69-60 win last night inside the PMAC. This was a game for a long time. I mean, LSU led 22-16 after the first, and you said, okay, they're on their way. But the Rebels won the second quarter. They lost the third quarter, but then it was all knotted up in the fourth. I mean, it was a 19-19 quarter there. Tigers had their hands full down the stretch. They needed some big buckets, and some other players actually stepped up. Morris had a big shot. Williams had a big shot late in the game but Dawson I'm not gonna lie to you Uh, look Angel Reese is phenomenal but if they're gonna have to have Angel Reese score 36 and, and pull down 20 boards they're not making a run in the NCAA tournament yeah I think we've we've kind of been talking about that for a little bit now um they're going to need someone out. And, and look, Alexis Morris has been doing it for the most part, being the second option. But She had 15 points last night, but she took 18 shots. Yeah, they need a third option at some point. And, you know, it, maybe that's maybe they're just not going to have it. And they're going to have to rely on Reese and Morris, and that's fine. But, yeah, that, you know, when we talked about, like, they still haven't played really anybody that's in the top 30 with the exception of South Carolina last Sunday. So who they got drubbed by. Yeah. You know, you're going to face really good teams, you know, maybe maybe you get a good draw in the first round. After that, you're going to play really good teams the rest of the way. And they don't have a whole lot of experience playing really good teams. So you just wonder, you know, I mean, look, the from from my vantage, from what I've seen, the teams that they're playing in the SEC that are the, you know, third, fourth, fifth best teams in the SEC are probably somewhere between the 30th and 50th best teams in the country. Ole Miss and Tennessee are tourney teams. Right, right. So that puts them right there, 30 to right. 50 type tier. 
you're going to play, and especially look, I wouldn't be very. I, I would sp- expect them to win two tournament games for sure. You get to that Sweet 16, whereas originally, you know, we had we had started to have conversations about them being a potential Final Four team, certainly Elite Eight. Now I, I've got big concerns, and of course, it'll depend on the draw and stuff like that. I don't know. I don't see this team winning a Sweet 16 game the way they're playing right now. No, and it's a weird thing to say because they only have one loss on the season, but you see the level of competition that they're going to be facing off against. And look, Ole Miss is a good team. But you needed Angel Reese to do everything she did last night. You needed one player to give you 36-20 and to win a game. That's not a recipe for success. Because what's going to happen when we get to the tournament? They're going to double her constantly on every single time she touches the ball. And maybe she still gets hers. Who else is going to step up for this team? Who else is going to step up for Kim Mulkey and help them win a game? And I'm not saying they're incapable of winning, you know, a Sweet 16 or even a Elite Eight game. But if I mean, think about how narrow their like path to success is. If Angel Reese gets in foul trouble early in those games, they're you done. feel like they have no chance. They're done. They're done. You know, outside of Alexis Morris just getting extremely hot from the field and just having a great night, like they don't have a chance in those types of situations. So now she's done a great job. You know, the South Carolina game is one of the only times that's really been a big factor. But like that's that's a concern moving forward, and I don't think that's going to change unless you know somebody really surprises us down the stretch here. Kill Mulkey afterwards admitted that you know, yeah, her team's a little bit tired, but um, they can't be negative. They can't allow that to get seep into their brains. We won. I can't sit here and dissect everything like that because that's negative, and you can't have any negative thoughts this time of year. Uh, it's it's we're tired. Everybody's tired, and um, you got to fight through it because you'll get your second win here when you head into March. I promise you. I've been through this too many times. Um, it's going to be the same way at Florida. We went there last year. Didn't we get beat there? Yeah. And so we and we nice understand, feeling. but. In the perfect world, I want LaDasia to have more rebounds than she had tonight. I want Samaya to score more because Samaya's playing good. You know, Poa, we need all of them, but I can't focus on anything negative and have any negative thoughts other than everybody in that locker room be happy. I don't mind that mindset from Kim, right? She's she's a Naismith Basketball Hall of Famer. I believe... This is a Sweet 16 team, and based on the draw, they could be still be a Final Four team. As as Salty Stevens says, you're being kind of salty with Kim and the LSU. It's only her second season. Yeah, but she's raised the bar, and LSU fans have raised the bar. I I, I don't know why we be perceived being salty, saying you need someone more than just Angel Reese to help you win games, like. That's just being honest. That's not being critical. That's called being honest. If we're going to praise Kim and the job she's done in year number two, we also, it's okay to point out that this roster is still flawed because they don't have anyone else to help Angel Reese. Yeah, no, like it's, it's the progression of what she's done at the program has no, no questions or, you know, doubts at all. She's going to be in the, in the conversation for national coach of the year and rightfully so, and she should win it. And look, but you can still sit here and talk about the program and go, it's still flawed, and you got to have somebody else step up. And she just sat there and told you, yeah, I'd like Poe to do more. I'd like Williams to do more. 
They have talented players on this team that aren't stepping up and helping the team take the load off Angel Reese, and it's only going to get tougher. It's only going to get tougher. And and we're not. I, I'm not saying anything about the future because again, I think we've kind of already hinted this team next year is going to be a, a national title, title contender. Yeah. Yes. But when you when you go 23 and one, 24 and one, whatever it is, you have to reevaluate and. Where they are and where they were at times projected to be this season is not quite, they're not quite where maybe we thought they could be after we readjusted our expectations when they started the season with 20 something straight wins. Correct. We saw the flaws in their game against South Carolina. We saw them again last night against Ole Miss. Now, they still have time to fix that, right? Conference tournament time, they could go on a run and maybe they play better the second time around against South Carolina. And maybe they get, because on the draw, maybe they play tougher opponents and they can still look. They still have the potential to be a Final Four team. I just think it's more realistic to think of this team as a Sweet 16 team. And how is that a bad thing? How is that being salty? Oh, the LSU women's program, which was in the tank in a dumpster fire, got to the Sweet 16 and was nationally ranked in the top five. That's called a successful season. Not quite for sure why that is considered salty. Now you're being salty about being called salty. But so I'll say it also Steve wants to poke the bear I, this I morning, at, apparently. Apparently I touched a nerve. Rome wasn't built in a day. You're correct. I would also say the same thing because Steve's been highly critical of Brian Kelly during the season and he won ten games and a football program isn't built in a day either, Steve. Yeah, and I look do, do we want to have this discussion because that same theory that same mindset applies to football it applies to the other sports as well bud so you don't have to come to Kim Mulkey's defense Kim is a grown woman who takes care of herself she's okay and she'd be the first one to be critical of her own team as well she always is always has been that's how she's built Rome wasn't built in the day that also applies to the uh, football program as well just like to point that out. Can't have it both ways. Can't have it both ways. We got to take a timeout. When we come back, LSU men's basketball coach Byron Starks will join us. His team's final home regular season game is Saturday, and they're having a great season once again. We'll talk to Coach about all of that. That's next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. We love talking about sports. Yeah. You love listening to sports. Yeah. Sounds like we were meant to be together. Or at least friends with benefits. Aren't you glad you found us? Back to more of the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The LSUE men's basketball team, man, it didn't take them long to become a force on their level of play. Byron Starks comes, the former Raging Cajun, great. 
and a tremendous high school coach takes over the program, builds it up from scratch, and year after year, they've gotten better. Year after year, they've won conference championships and have gotten to the playoffs. And guess what? He's got another good team this season. 17-3 and overall. They're 6-0 and in conference play, and they're wrapping up their season with two more games. And their final home game of the regular season will be tomorrow against Delgado Community College when they come to the HBRE Center there on the Cajun Prairie. Tip is set for 4 o'clock. Joining us now is the man in charge of the LSUE Bengals, Byron Starks, joins us. Coach, good morning, brother. How are you, my friend? Good morning. I'm doing well, man. I'm alive and well, and I say any day above ground, I've got a chance to make a difference, and that's what I plan to do. <laughs> that's that's the right mentality to have, my friend. That's absolutely the right mentality to have. All right, tell us a little bit about this year's team. You know, you have to reload. You lost some key members from last year's conference championship team and a team that went further than any other team in program history in the postseason. Uh, tell us a little bit about this year's team. Well, this year's team is pretty exciting to watch. You know, we have a, a cast of athletic guys who have come in and taken on their roles. And, you know, when you're building a junior college team, which I think most four-year schools are going to become like that as well, uh, is building a new team from year to year. And you never know what you're going to get until they step foot on the campus. And um, when they come together, it's a thing of beauty. Uh, we have a lot of local kids here from Louisiana, uh, kids from around the area. Uh, in particular, we have Naj DeGru, who's out of New Orleans, um, St. Augustine High School, won uh, state championship there, has come in and made a solid impact at the point guard spot. Caden Pierre from Hanville, Louisiana, um, has come in and has played extremely solid for us. And Bryce Roberts um, out of Shreveport, who is uh, probably on the verge of being the uh, conference player of the year, and you know maybe we'll have another junior college player of the year coming from, coming from our program this year as well. So, I have a couple of guys that are um, international as well. Keanu Saxon, who is, I mean, outstanding six um, eight kid from New Zealand, and has done an outstanding job at his position, kind of like a stretch four. And we have a kid that I think is a phenomenal player. I think he could be a, a mid major player. PJ. Uh, Duball out of Minnesota, uh, 6'9", jumps out of the gym, uh, has KD-ish type skill set. You know, we're not saying he is KD, but he has those type of skill sets at his size. Coach, you've only lost three games this season. Three. Uh, yeah, that, that's I can count that on one hand. And I'm not that great at math, brother, but I feel like that's a, that's a really good stat for your team. And what's interesting is that you guys lost two games – back-to-back during the Thanksgiving holiday break when you went and played in that college classic down in Florida. What did you learn about your team at that tournament, and how much of a turning point did that prove to be for your squad? Well, I learned resiliency and toughness because at that time we had two players that were out. Um, uh, Two of them, we went ate at a restaurant, and they got food poisoning. So my team battled. And we ended up playing the number one team in the country at that time and the number four team in the country, which was Tallahassee and Chipola. Uh, the, the score of the Tallahassee game, I think we ended up losing by 14 points, was not indicative of the entire game. Our guys battled. It was a single-digit game, and, and I know point spread made a difference. He kept his guys in uh, with you know a minute left to play, and they padded a couple of stats. 
Next day, we'll come back, and uh, Bryce Roberts, uh, who was missing in the Tallahassee game, uh, he comes back and he plays in the Chipola game, uh, scores 22 points. We were up by uh, four points with like nine minutes to go in the game. Ended up losing that one by eight points. But it, it was a great environment. It was a good opportunity to play against uh, what's considered the top uh, JUCOs in the country and the top region in the country, and it let our guys know that we can't compete. And, you know, we ended up losing another game to McLennan, who is in the top 25 as well, and we split with them, beat them on their floor. They came at the start of this year and beat us on our floor. So it gave us the hope that, hey, we know we can compete um, at this level. You know, we are a D1 program with a D2 budget, so we maximize uh, all the resources that we have to put out the best product that we can on the floor. So, we can make this institution proud. Coach, your team's already clinched at least a share of a fourth straight LCCAC regular season championship. That, of course, you did last time out when you took down Baton Rouge Community College 68-65. to You can win the outright title with a win tomorrow against Delgado Community College. What's the message to your guys for the final regular season home game tomorrow there on the Cajun Prairie? Well, just just reap the rewards of your labor. You know, go out every day, have fun. I, I don't try to overcomplicate the game. We tell everybody, do your job, then let everything else fall in place. But, of course, we do deal with young people. We're dealing with human lives and, and sometimes the emotions of, of uh, wanting to do excellent sometimes, you know, can, can, can get you over-anxious. So my job as a coach is to just gauge them, you know, keep them calm, don't get too high, don't get too low and just go out and compete. And, you know, we had an opportunity to cut down the nets tomorrow, and then we'll have our final game against Shreveport on Wednesday. Then after that, you know, it becomes a one-game season. You know, you, you either win or go home. So we're, we have a group of guys that understand winning, and a good number of them have played on championship teams or been in championship situations. So it makes it a whole lot easier um, in that process. Yeah, haven't lost a conference game since the 1920 season you've won 29 in a row now when you start building up a streak like that when you are doing that in conference play against the teams that you play more than anyone else how do you maintain that how do, what's the method behind the madness so to speak to to be undefeated and conference play year after year after year you know, it's a challenge because a good number of those games, when you see the opponent over and over and they know your tendencies, it becomes uh, extremely tough. You know, some of those games have been overtime games. We, as the other night, we won by three points, uh, one point. You know, a team that missed a, a last-second shot, and then we end up getting out with a win. So, um, And in some of those situations, we've had a, a sizable advantage. But I, I think the overriding uh, message is, you know, just go out and compete. And, and I will make this point because my high school coach, Michael Lyons, he passed away on Monday. And that same winning spirit, same winning mentality that he had uh, was instilled in me and, and is instilled in my team. And I saw the blueprint for winning. And I think you just take that into and make it into your own personality and just have guys go out and compete every day. You know, I don't think it's a time when you step on the floor that you should not enjoy the opportunity to play in college basketball because there are a lot of people who would love to be in this position. So 
we just try to instill that in them every single day and take advantage of the opportunities. And we know that the market's on our back. You know, when you've won <laughs> that many conference game, I, I looked at it. We're thirty-three and one in four seasons, and thirty-seven and six overall since we started the program. And our mission was just to make junior college basketball relevant in our state, in our region, and in our country. And I think we're on a good pace to do that. Talking with Byron Starks, LSUE men's basketball coach. Once again, his team plays their final regular season home game Saturday against Delgado. And then they'll wrap up the regular season on the road on Wednesday. Winning the conference championship, only losing three games, I would assume, Coach, that you guys are lined up to host a Region 23 basketball tournament game again this season. Last year, you guys made it all the way to the semifinals of the Region 23 tournament, losing to Pearl River Community College, the one seed, 53-42. to What does your team need to do to take it even a step further and make it to the finals and maybe even win the Region 23 basketball tournament? Well, you know, in those one-game scenarios, a lot of things have to fall in place. Um, I've always told them, and I've always had the mindset, control everything that we can control, you know, because – you know, you'll be in a different environment. The first two games, you know, we should have home court advantage. But the most important thing is control everything that you can control. Go out and give your absolute best and just to see what takes place from that. Um, having that taste of being in the Final Four the previous season um, has given the ones who come back the opportunity to instill that, hey, we need to take it a step further. Now, there are some very good teams in our region. And if you look at uh, a team that has crept up like Itawamba, uh, Kapaya Lincoln, East is always in there, Pearl River. Um, those are top teams in the region that we're going to have to contend with. And we just happen to, we have to go through Mississippi to accomplish that. And our mission is just to go in there and do it, take over, do the, the Mississippi takeover. Mississippi takeover. I like that. You going to put that on a shirt, Coach? And can I get one of them shirts? Let's talk about that. Well, I, oh, yeah. Well, I know it's on the whiteboard in the locker room. So <laughs> we need to make sure that our guys get having it. And then when we accomplish that, we're going to have T-shirts, and you definitely will get one. Coach, we'll wrap it up with this. You know, you're in charge of these young men, and I know some of them you got to have for three years because of – COVID and the extra year of eligibility that was granted by the NCAA across the board and the NCJAA as well. But you're in charge of helping these teenage boys grow into being young men and helping them prepare to either play basketball at the next level or simply go on and get their bachelor's degree or go on to life in the real world. How rewarding is that now that you've been there for as long as you have and you're starting to get former players come back and talk to you or you get to see them go and thrive elsewhere? How much pride does that give you? It's extremely rewarding. Lots of pride in that because we, you know, we've had six graduates. We'll have three graduating this spring. Uh, Fourteen of our players have moved on to play at four-year schools. And for me, that's what junior college is about. It is helping some that are non-qualified become qualifiers, and it revives the uh, basketball life of some of those individuals while they also have the opportunity to extend their education. And, you know, we always set the bar high of talking about fighting for your future. I have a four-year degree, 
but I set the standard for my team as well this past year. I uh, decided to get my master's degree, and I just completed that this fall. And and I've told our guys, look, if I can fight for my future, you can fight for your future. And, you know, in our business, a, a degree means a lot uh, because it opens up other doors of opportunity for you. And that's all we want to do is give individuals an opportunity to be excellent beyond basketball and be excellent in their livelihood and their family. And I think we've accomplished that and we'll continue to accomplish that mission. Coach, appreciate your time as always. Brother, best of luck in the final two games of the regular season. And uh, we'll talk to you soon, my friend. Yes, sir. Thank you. Look forward to seeing you. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You know the routine. Eat, drink, sleep, and sports. All day, every day. You're listening to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The Raging Cajun men got a win over ULM last night at the Cajun Dome. But you know what? The women got themselves a win on the road in Fun Row last night against the Lady Warhawks. Actually, it's the 18th straight time they've defeated ULM. That's what I call lopsided. Just going to point that out. And the Cajuns topped the Warhawks 57-46 inside Fayette Ewing Coliseum. Win streak dates back to 2015. With the Cajuns holding ULM below 60 points in all but one of those matchups. Gary Broadhead likes to play defense. (laughs) It's what he does. Does he have enough shooters on that team? Nope. (laughs) But defense is the number one priority for the Raging Cajuns. Had a slow start last night, but they finished the game off. Improved to 16-11 overall and 10-5 in the Sunbelt Conference. And they got some help last night, Dawson, because of somehow the outcomes of the other games. But this is the crazy thing about the women's side. We've talked a lot about the Sunbelt Conference men's standings. But for the women, whew, I just there's a three-way tie atop the standings after what happened with Troy last night. And look, Troy didn't look great against the Cajuns, and now they've lost, what, two in a row? Troy has? There's a three-way tie for first place. And then there's technically a three-way tie for fourth place but there's only a game that separates the teams that are tied for first and the teams that are tied for fourth so right now we have six teams that have a legitimate chance with three games to go of winning the conference regular season championship in the Sun Belt. yeah your sunbelt women's conference saw the uh, nba's western conference and said i'll uh, raise you a bit here <laughs> and look gary's teams always play well when the calendar turns to February. He builds them. It can be frustrating to watch. I understand that. I get it. They're not an offensive-minded team. They're a defensive-minded team. They muck it up, right? They like to slow down the pace. I I get all that. But Gary's formula works because he gets the most out of his young women, 
They play hard, and they find ways to gut out wins. It's not the prettiest, but it gets the job done. And I like their chances just as much as anyone else because, well, once again, you have six teams with three games to go that can win the regular season championship. That means the Cajuns just have just as good a shot as anyone else. Yeah, you just got to find a way to get in the top four just desperately. It's just so much more difficult to win, especially with the style of play that they have where they're playing hard on defense. You right. know, they don't play a ton uh, rotationally. Um, they do have some girls that come off the bench, but you desperately need to get into that top four, which, again, four out of those six are, and f- two of them aren't. Two teams that could still win the regular season title uh, also are going to not have those double buys. So you just got to try and find a way to win maybe yeah. two of these last three, and, and hopefully that's enough. If you win all three, you'll certainly be uh, in the top four, and, and hopefully you can do things again. You wouldn't have to win as many games if the league wouldn't have messed up the Troy game at the end, but that happened, and you got to deal with it. So <laughs> they'll move on. Yeah, you can't dwell on it too much, right? You have to get it done. But they'll get back to action Saturday at Arkansas State. That's their final road game of the season. And then Gary's team will be playing just like the men will be next week at home at the Cajun Dome Wednesday night, Friday night. Doubleheaders both nights for Raging Cajuns basketball. Hour number two in the books. Hour number three, we're going to talk basketball but the pro kind with Dan Favalli of Bleacher Report. That's next on The Game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Oh, the final hour of today's show and of the week has arrived here in RP3 and Company. Man, we've spent a lot of time talking hoops this morning. Raging Cajuns men's basketball gets a win last night to snap their two-game skid as they take down ULM 84-67. The women, meanwhile, they went on the road and defeated ULM for the 18th straight time as they are in a three-way tie for fourth place in the Sunbelt Conference standings. LSU women got out a win against Ole Miss. Angel Reese just has a ridiculous game. But those Tigers are going to need someone else to help her out if they want to make a run in the postseason tournament, in the NCAA tournament. They look like a Sweet 16 Elite 8 team to me, but if they want to get to the Final Four, somebody else is going to have to step up. We also talked LSUE men's basketball with Byron Starks as his team wraps up the regular season. Their final home game of the regular season is Saturday, tomorrow. They're on the Cajun Prairie, and then they'll wrap up the regular season on the road up in Shreveport. But right now, it's time for us to talk about the association. All-star break is here. Three-point contest, slam dunk competition, all-star game, all the festivities. But we're going to look at the standings. Who is the clear-cut favorites in each conference? Who still has some work to be done? And who still has questions? To help us with all that is our friend from Bleacher Report, who covers the association, Dan Favalli, joins us now. Dan, good morning to you, brother. How are you? I am doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing great, bud. I'm doing great. So the All-Star break has arrived, and 
you know, it's a little bit different now than it was for years. You really only have like 23, 24 games left for most of these teams after the, the scheduling changes over the last couple of years. But here we are, more than halfway through the season. Who's really kind of stood out to you as not only a contender to win their conference, but an absolute contender to hoist the Larry O'Brien trophy? You know, I think there are three to four teams right now, and most of them come from the East. Uh, Boston and Milwaukee, for sure, are right there. I feel like I vacillate between which one I would deem the favorite to come out of the East, uh, East because the, the Bucks have just looked so powerful as they've gotten closer to full strength. Giannis is playing better. They're, of course, on a 12-game running streak. But then you just have Boston, and the rotation is just so certifiably airtight and deep. Uh, they almost beat the Bucks themselves while missing Horford, Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, the way that Derek White has been playing this year. you got a nice kind of under-the-radar pickup in Mike Muscala at the deadline. Your defense has quietly been really great since before even Robert Williams III came back. And so I think those two teams might be in a tier of their own, along with the Nuggets I would also have with them. I know everyone has questions about the defense. I have it as well. But, you know, their top six, seven guys in the lineup that they can build with them right now, I do think that they are playoff proof when you look at the the potential defensive matchups and the way they can tailor that with Bruce Brown, KCP, Aaron Gordon. And I think the final team that's kind of there, um, and I'm hesitant to put them there, but the Sixers, they have to stay healthy. Uh, And a lot of people don't believe in their defense. They have some rebounding issues. Um, Their rotation feels a little bit shallow on certain nights, but they have been fantastic for the past, like, two months. The connectivity between James Harden and Joel Embiid doesn't always look pretty but it's working, and you're getting really good minutes from De'Anthony Melton. Tyrese Massey looks good in his role. So those four teams, I think, have probably stood out to me more so than, than anybody else so far. What are your thoughts about the Cleveland Cavaliers? They had such a great start to the season with Spider in tow, and uh, they've kind of been up and down, and they've been better of late, 8-2 and two in their last 10. Uh, what gives you trepidation of putting the Cavaliers in that grouping? I need to. I hate to play this card, but I just need to see how that three spot ends up panning out in the playoffs. Isaac Okoro has been really good lately. He shot over 40% from three for basically more than half the season now. Karis LeVert has been shooting the ball well from three, and he's also played better defense than I thought. And they've gotten good minutes um, at the backup four spot as well as you've sort of, you know, they bought out Kevin Love, but they leaned him out of the rotation before that by playing Dean Wade there, giving Lamar Stevens some minutes. And so it looks really good in the regular season, but I just need to see what it looks like in the playoffs um, when those guys go up against defenses. Are we going to see, you know, we've seen this with players in the regular season before, looking at Okoro specifically, uh, where they hit their wide-open threes in the regular season, but then the playoffs come and they face either more defensive pressure or they're left open even more often, and they can't deliver. And so I think that's the biggest question for me so far, because otherwise they look absolutely great on paper and in practice, especially with how well, Evan Mobley has developed slash been playing on the offensive end about the last month or so, and he really picked it up when Donovan Mitchell missed some time with that groin injury. And so the Cavs have discovered, I think, a lot about themselves and how um, variable they can play in certain situations, which will serve them extremely well when you look at some of the playoff matchups that they might have to see right out of the gate. You mentioned Kevin Love being bought out by Cleveland. Look, he's on the tail end of his career, 15th NBA season. Guy's a world champion. He's been an all-NBA performer, an all-star. But really, he's he's a reserve now, a guy probably coming off deep off the bench. What type of market is there going to be for Kevin Love, and who do you think is going to want to pursue him and add him to their roster for a push for the playoffs? 
I think the Heat will probably be at the forefront, um, just the idea that they can insulate him defensively and that he can play next to Bam or maybe even as their five while stretching the floor. Maybe you could still run st- some stuff through him offensively because he's such a good passer. I could also see maybe um, the Suns wanting to get involved just to continue deepening their rotation. They did trade Dario Saric um, to OKC for Darius Baisley, so maybe they want sort of another reserve big look and someone who can stretch the floor more than a, a Biombo or a or a Jock Landale. Um, maybe you could potentially see, do the Lakers want to get involved there? I don't think the Clippers really need him. The Warriors, I think, would probably be another destination that gives him a look since they were in the market for a different type of big, and they can definitely use his passing. And If you're going to play him next to Kevon Looney or Draymond Green and then Andrew Wiggins, you should be able to insulate him defensively enough to um, reap the benefits of his floor spacing without necessarily getting nuked at the other end. The Nets trade away their two best players, and they're going to get a haul for them from Dallas and from Phoenix. Uh, when's the last time, though, Dan, that you can remember where a team that was at the time, what, the four seed in the Eastern Conference, well above 500, playing good basketball, traded away their two best players? Like, I, I just I can't remember the last time I remember that happening. And what do you make of how the Nets are constructed now, especially with the grouping they have led by Cam Thomas? You know, the closest thing that we may have seen to what happened with the Nets this year is what happened to the Nets last year when James Harden wanted out um, uh, and he was traded to Philly. And they looked like a team that, if they got healthy, would have went on a run. I can't remember where they were in the East at the time, but that's probably the closest comparison. And I think the roster right now is a hodgepodge of really good talent um, that has some just glaring holes. They need another big on the roster. They need a floor organizer for sure. When you look at their primary shot creators right now, it's Cam Thomas, Spencer Dinwiddie, and Mikael Bridges. Those aren't necessarily A-plus playmakers. Dinwiddie comes closest. Um, and you kind of just sort of need to consolidate in general because you have so many wings slash swingmen on the roster. When you look at Seth Curry, who's going into free agency, Joe Harris, Royce O'Neal, um, Cam Johnson, so I think that we'll see a lot of activity from them over the summer. I'm just not sure whether they're going to, you know, could they buy just because they got five first-round picks for Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving alone, and they have a bunch of matching salary, or are they going to lean further into this rebuild even though Houston um, controls their next four draft picks? What I would expect them to do is heavily shot Ben Simmons, and I don't think they get any value for him if they move him. I think some people believe it probably costs a pick or a player to get off his contract, but I could definitely see a team – on a more gradual timeline that has some cap space and is willing to complete one of the more lopsided trades. Is it a San Antonio? It is a Charlotte um, that might bet on trying to, to reboot his value over the long term. We're talking with Dan Favale, Bleacher Report, NBA reporter. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. Let's go over to the West. Uh, you mentioned the Nuggets, and uh, once again, you, we wonder about their defense. We also wonder, can they get it done in the postseason? But when you look behind them, I mean, really, it's it's a hodgepodge, right? There's so little separation, even between Memphis all the way down to Oklahoma City. It, it just is. It The West seems absolutely wide open. As it stands right now here at the All-Star break, who do you like to push Denver in the West? I think it has to be Phoenix. Uh, they did trade for Kevin Durant, and the other thing is between him and Devin Booker, they seem uniquely equipped to kind of pick – the, the Nuggets defense in the half court apart, create mismatches, target them, really get after them and, and hit uh, in the mid-range 
which is shots that the Nuggets will give up, but it's shots that the Suns are looking to take. And I think the other team, I'm reticent to say this because I never trust them to stay healthy enough, but the Clippers have been pretty frisky of late, and they had a nice trade deadline. They fortified the back end of their rotation with the Mason Plumlee addition. I like the flyer on Bowen Highland. Eric Gordon's already closing games for them. And so if Kawhi is going to you know, be available and ditto for Paul George, um, that's a team that I think could, could sneakily maybe even just be sort of this Western Conference favorite in waiting. I just think more so than anyone. You know, you mentioned the hodgepodge, and you're, that's the best way to put it. The Nuggets are the only team so far that has just earned my trust in terms of we've seen them actually play really well in the postseason, even when they're not fully available. They're a machine right now. And you look at everyone else below them, and, yeah, some of them made improvements. Look at Memphis getting Lou Kennard. I think Mike Conley will do well in Minnesota. But there's no one you can trust, and that includes the Suns, just because Kevin Durant's age 34. Chris Paul's going on age 38. Chris Paul always seems to get injured in the playoffs. And Kevin Durant, we're seeing right, they traded for him while he was recovering from an MCL injury, and he's had a lower body injury in every single season for basically the, the last half decade. So um, the Nuggets really aren't a class of their own. But I do think Phoenix overall, I think, has to be the biggest threat to them at this point. Memphis has really embraced kind of being the the bad boys, the the villain role, the the, the young upstarts that get into your face and kind of talk smack. But ever since they really kind of embraced that role, they've been on the struggle bus, right? And they're still in second in the West, but they're struggling against sometimes inferior competition. When you watch the Grizzlies play, you love Ja, I love Ja. Do the Grizzlies have enough firepower to be able to maybe make a run to the Western Conference Finals? And is this whole embracing the villain role type of thing, is that backfiring on them? I think the embracing the villain role is, is probably fine for them. I think this is just a flawed roster that, to answer your first question, doesn't have what it takes to get to the conference finals or beyond right now. They need more half-court shot creation. They need to upgrade sort of the combo forward or bigger wing minutes. Um, Luke Kennard will help them with their three-point volume and accuracy, but he's even been hesitant to take threes um, for stretches, which I think is why the Clippers weren't playing him too much by the, by the end of his time there. And he's also someone that can be targeted on defense in the playoffs. And we're also seeing how important uh, Steven Adams is to the way that they play offense, which is to set these really hard screens. They're reliant on, on offensive rebounding. And during the time that he has missed, uh, they have not you know, even been close to the peak of their powers. And so this was a team that I think uh, had the assets and the incentive to go out and try and make a bigger move to go out and get pay what it takes to get Boyan Bogdanovich from from uh, Detroit or maybe even Kyle Kuzma from Washington, and they just decided to hit a little single or maybe even a double again with Conard. And I ultimately don't think that's enough. More so than anything, there are just limitations to the way that they rely on generating their offense, and we saw it kind of fall apart in the playoffs last year. And I just don't think they've done anything differently, even with the growth of Desmond Bain. Um, to believe that they're going to be able to get over that hump this season. Do you believe after the moves they made at the trade deadline that the Lakers are going to be a playoff team? Uh, no. I think that they should be able to back their way into the play-in when you look at how Utah's kind of backing off the rest of the season. The Blazers have just been like kind of low-key, pretty terrible this year relative to expectations, and then you could see them usurping in Oklahoma City. But the Lakers are going to have to have good health and go full tilt the rest of the year to end up in the top ten. And I just wonder how much gas they'll have left in the tank um, to then come out of the play-in tournament. And once they get there, uh, if they get there, excuse me, like you're going to just you know have a series against the Nuggets. 
Uh, I will say what is benefiting them is what you mentioned before, is that the West is just this cluster of teams that are so close together. And so if you somehow are able to get that seven seed to where you just avoid the Nuggets in the first round, or maybe you're, you're not even afraid of the Nuggets, maybe you just want to avoid the Suns in the first round, you would have to I guess, give them a shot if you have LeBron, AD, and D'Lo available. I think that they get to the play-in, I wouldn't bet on them coming out of it. So, Get you out of here with this, Dan. Pelicans twice were atop the Western Conference standings, and then Zion got hurt. What type of faith do you have that the Pelicans, with not knowing when Zion's going to return, if he returns at all from the re-aggravated hamstring injury, how much confidence you have in the Pels making some noise in the postseason? It's dwindling, and that's from someone who was just very bullish on them when they were, you know, right before they got to the top of the West. They looked like a legitimate contender, and that was like with B.I. missing all this time. I think you mentioned the Zion injury, and that's just concerning. The lack of a timeline, the lack of transparency, that's concerning in itself. Like, there are teams that would kill to have Brandon Ingram available, C.J. McCollum available, Jonas Valanciunas available if their best player was missing all these games. And I know that B.I. is sort of early into his return. He's been playing fairly well, but, like, the Pelicans' offense has been pretty terrible since Zion has been gone. And it's not, you know, they're not hitting their threes. You have guys who are taking up heavy rotation minutes and are missing a lot of wide-open threes. Um, To see that happening when you do have so much offensive talent and then to be so – you know, rickety on the defensive end. They're about league average since Zion, um, you know, left the rotation, but they're not doing anything spectacular on that end. They're still fouling a whole bunch. It's really uninspiring, and it just makes you think that if they can't even rely on Zion being healthy, um, even if he's there, how much can you rely on everyone else delivering? Because they basically this entire roster, with perhaps the exception of Trey Murphy, has been so up and down this year that I don't necessarily, you know, my, again, my faith in them, even at full strength as a top-end Western Conference team, is dwindling at the moment. Well said, brother. Thank you for your time. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the All-Star game. We'll talk to you soon, my friend. Most definitely. Thanks for having me as always. Take care. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You know how some fellas don't care how they look? I mean, a few of you are rocking sweatpants that haven't been washed in days. Ew. Not to worry, my dear unkempt friend. RP3 and Company is a judgment-free zone. Hell, sometimes these guys don't even wear pants. I would like to extend to you an invitation to the pants party. Excuse me? The party. The pants with the pants. Party with pants. Now back to the hopefully fully clothed RP3 on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Uh, the Louisiana Raging Cajuns men and women won last night. The LSU women won as well. You know who else won last night, D'Lo? The McNeese Cowboys. Third straight win. Another dramatic performance by John Aiken's team. Christian Shoemate, who is their best player, and it's not even close. It's a country mile between him and everybody else. Not a slight to the other guys, but Christian's that guy. Gets a slam dunk with five and a half seconds left inside the Legacy Center. 
in overtime to lift McNeese to a dramatic 78-76 win over Incarnate Word. That's one of those teams that they needed to beat if they wanted to try to put themselves in a position to make the conference tournament. Once again, only the top eight seeds make the Southland Conference Tournament, which will be held at the Legacy Center there in Lake Chuck. Third consecutive victory. Shoemate ended the night scoring a career-high 32 points behind 11 of 17 shooting, 10 of 12 at the free throw line, and played over 44 minutes in the 45-minute contest. That's called being a dog and going out there and putting the team on your back. Cowboys improved to 8-19 and overall, 5-9 and in league play, and now the Cowboys, who have won three in a row, are in a four-way tie for sixth place in the conference standings alongside with Houston Christian and Lamar. Zach Scott added 17 points while Trey English chipped in 15. Jonathan Massey led the team with three assists and his pass to Shoemate for the game-winning dunk was also key. Cowboys are playing good. They return to action on Saturday when they host Texas A&M Corpus Christi. got themselves in contention. That's all you want to see here. They don't have to get sixth place. They just need to get into the top eight. And they're taking some big strides that way as they come down the stretch here in conference play, trying to earn their spot in the Southland Conference Tournament. Once again, that will be held. The men's and the women's tournament will be held at the Legacy Center there on campus of McNeese. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on our guy, Darren. Darren, good morning to you, brother. What's on your mind, my friend? Yeah, good morning. Good morning. I, I want you to make something make sense for me. I just seen something that Eric Bieniemy, uh might be going to your uh, commander. That's correct. Uh, why would he leave Patrick Mahomes and uh, the Kansas City Chiefs and take the same job as the commander's offensive coordinator? I'll tell you why. why? I'll tell you why. Yeah, I, because I he wants a head coaching job. Because he wants a head coaching job. Because for, it's not accurate, Darren, but this is why this is happening. Because Eric Bieniemy ha- is perceived as a byproduct of Andy Reid. He is perceived as the guy that doesn't call the plays, that he is an offensive coordinator in name only, and that his success with Andy Reid in Kansas City has more to do with Andy Reid and more to do with Patrick Mahomes and not to do with what he brings to the table. That's why he's not getting opportunities to be a head coach. That's why we're not hearing his name mentioned. If he goes to Washington and their offense is dreadful, okay, I know my team, they have some weapons, they have some nice pieces, but offensively they're not consistent. Ron Rivera is a defensive-minded coach. If he can go to Washington and, say, take Sam Howell, who's projected to be the starting quarterback for the Commanders, If he takes them and turns them into a playoff team or makes them a top 10, top 15 offense, he will then prove to NFL owners and general managers that he's more than just being Andy Reid's guy, that he's more of just being the guy who just so happens to be privileged to coach Patrick Mahomes. He will prove that he is a legitimate coaching candidate that's why you make the move if you be enemy as long as he stays in Kansas City he's never going to get the opportunity because the perception I'm don't I don't say it's right I actually think it's incorrect it's a false perception but the perception around the league is that Eric B enemy 
is a byproduct of Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. But 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 hold on, hold on. Isn't the other head coaches that come from Andy Reid haven't they gotten other opportunities too? Uh, once like again, Darren, 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 you, you want me to tell you why the other reason is? You already know right, what the that? reason is. You already know what the reason is. <laughs> Come on now. We already know why but, Eric doesn't have another job. He's got to okay, work but, harder than guys, other guys in the league. We know what we're but, talking but, about here. Okay, but, but uh, Washington, Sam Howell, come on, man. Come on. Hey, I'll take Sam Howell over Zach Wilson. You want to talk about <laughs> You want to talk about young quarterbacks that are not proven that struggle? Yeah, you and I got them, bud. Your Jets, but your but your Jets are going to fix that. They're going to go get them somebody this uh, in the free yeah, agency. We, 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 we're going to get somebody. Hopefully we could get Aaron Rodgers this year. There hopefully, you go, bud. We, 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 so hopefully we could get somebody or, or, or but I hope he doesn't retire and the Saints doesn't pick him up. And then we don't end up with nobody, and then we'll be back to the same old Jets as always. That's what I'm hoping for. I love your roster, though, man. You're a quarterback away. I love y'all's roster, though. All right. Thank you. Thank Appreciate you, you brother. Good. Enjoy your weekend. Yeah, that's just the reality of the situation. Eric Bieniemy's got to prove himself more so than other guys. And we know the reason why that is. <laughs> it's just, yeah. Sorry. that That's the truth. There's no reason why that guy, there's no reason why a team shouldn't go get that guy and be like, Okay, this guy helped Patrick Mahomes turn into a two-time league MVP and he's won two Super Bowls, and he's part of the Andy Reid coaching tree. Why aren't teams backing up to have that guy be their head coach? They should. I thought the Saints should have went after him. They didn't. They did a Zoom interview, and it said, promoted Dennis Allen. Okie dokie. Got to take a timeout. When we come back here on RP3 and Company, Daytona 500 is Sunday. We'll get a preview of it from Toby Christie, NASCAR reporter from tobychristie.com. That's next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. There are two types of sports reporters. Those who are respected for their ability at building relationships with coaches and players. And here's our game plan. Then there are those whose method of reporting is getting hammered with a college football team and Pat O's. We're going streaking! We'll let you guess which one RP3 is. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Poll question of the day. It's about the Daytona 500. Will you be watching, listening to the Daytona 500 this Sunday? Once again, the NASCAR season kicks off on Sunday in Daytona. Will Bubba Wallace break through and take the checkered flag? He's finished his runner-up not once but twice in his young career. Kevin Harvick is an old head, as they like to say. He's won the Daytona 500, been quite a while, more than a decade. Who's going to take the checkered flag at the Great American Race? Tune in Sunday to find out. Pre-race coverage begins at 12.30 right here on the game, and you can listen to all the exciting action from Daytona on Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. 
Right now, poll results, 69% of you say no. 27% of you say yes. 4% say maybe. Let's get to some additional comments. Ralph says, Matthew McConaughey votes no because it's not all right, all right, all right. <laughs> B-Rad says, eh, what to watch? In the words of Stroker Ace, you go down to the end of the straightaway and you turn left. My man found a Stroker Ace GIF. Shout out to B-Rad for winning the day, my man. <laughs> Stroker, I was not ready for Stroker Ace. Robert Lupichan just shares the gift, says no, 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 no. John Paul Cajun Daddy says, I'd definitely watch it before watching soccer. Darren says, it's All-Star Weekend. That's how he's responding. He's going to be watching All-Star Weekend. Who dat forever just shares a gif of a man looking disgusted. It is one of those sports that's immensely polarizing. I appreciate NASCAR. I never really got into it. <clears throat> I tried. I work in sports media, so we'd cover races and put them in the newspaper and everything like that. So I know I know the big names. I know some of the history of watch documentaries and things of that nature. But either people are really into it or they're really not into it. There's no real middle ground. There doesn't seem to be a lot of just bandwagon fans for NASCAR. It just doesn't feel that way to me. It's just you're either really into it or you're really not. Yeah, I think a lot of it's a cultural thing. Like if you were brought up with it, you've got a much higher chance of course of being into it um i i have like kind of an interesting story about it i was my family was just big into it so i mean i was into it as a kid so really, you grew up around it yeah yeah really into it and then we kind of like the, my family in general kind of like my dad too like we kind of just stopped paying attention uh, attention around the time i was like i don't know 11 or 12 years old we just kind of lost interest um and i didn't pay you know i i kind of passively followed it for you know several years and then uh when COVID happened nascar was the first sport to come back and we needed something to watch, so some of my friends were like, what's this all about? And so I got back into it and then kind of explained it to them, and everybody kind of got into it. It was the only sport on TV for a while, and that's kind of what ended up happening. So then I got back into it, and I've been following it pretty closely ever since. We carried races, just like we're doing for the Daytona 500. We carried some races during the pandemic when everything got shut down and NASCAR was, was the only thing out there. I appreciate it. It is a sport. You know, people always make the oh, it's not. It is a sport. Being in a small metal box, those guys have to be fit, man. You have to be muscular. Those guys work out. They train and everything. It is a sport. Okay, so I'm I'm completely on board for that. But for the casual sports fan. You grew up with it, so you love it. It's part of your DNA. I didn't grow up with it. Even though, oddly enough, I spent a lot of time at the Mobile Speedway as a kid going to races on the weekends. But we didn't watch it on television, but this is the 80s before NASCAR was really on TV all that much. So what do you tell the person that knows nothing about it or just has the narrative that it's nothing but left turns? Because there are lulls in it. When you watch a race, especially one of these big races, the big 500 races, where there's lulls where nothing kind of happens, right? Nothing kind of happens, and there's a lot of strategy. Some people struggle with the fact of, 
Well, he had the best car and he was leading most of the day, but then he loses the race at the end because of a pit stop. So I think I think the strategy of how to draft off of people, when to pit, when to take two tires, when to take four, it's part of the sport, but I think sometimes it frustrates the, you know, kind of fair weather sports fan. Yeah, no, it's it's fair. And so, I mean, what I would say a couple of things. So the first off with the strategy and stuff, yeah, there's a ton involved. And I think like they're doing a better job now, which you saw F1 do with the documentary that was on Netflix that like got a lot of people that kind of explained a lot of the behind the scenes things to them. Um, and so like a lot of it's it's a lot of the same things with golf. Like people, I think once people start playing golf and they realize how hard it is, that's why a lot of my friends like were never into golf and then all of a sudden got into golf once they were like once we were out of college. New or, Netflix series. Yeah, they they just came out with one as well. Just, there. just came out this week, by but the way, so, which I have in my queue to watch. So in, in NASCAR, like there's a lot of stuff that's going on that if you're just watching it from a casual perspective, you're not seeing it going on. But if you dig a little bit deeper and, and kind of find some information about it, I think you really enjoy it. The other thing I would say 100 percent is if you get an opportunity to go to a race, whether you're a fan or not, you, you need to experience it specifically at the super speedways like Daytona and Talladega that are the huge two-and-a-half-mile tracks where everybody drafts and stays close together. Some of the mile-and-a-half tracks, they'll spread out. And the other thing with NASCAR, a lot of the race tracks are different, and they provide like a lot of different forms of entertainment. It's not the same. like It's not like a football game every week where it's we're going to line up and play football. A lot of times you have completely different disciplines going on. Um, but like going to a NASCAR race, specifically one of those bigger ones, is a sensory experience in like all sense of it. The smell, the sound, specifically the sound. Uh, the sights, of course, like you're experiencing something that you can't get through a television broadcast. Um, so that would be definitely something. And I'm not I don't even think people who some people who go to races don't follow it, you know, super close. But it's just an unbelievable experience. It can't really be compared to any other sport. The difference between attending and just watching on TV. The other thing is, if you go to races like that, you can rent like scanners where you basically wear a headset and you have you can listen into team communication. You can choose from different drivers and crew chiefs. Well, that's neat. Yeah, and so then you can learn some of the intricacies of the driver kind of communicating to his team. It is a team sport. Another, It looks like an individual sport because you see the driver names and stuff, but those teams have crew chiefs that are leading their crews. They have tire changers. They have pit crews, um, and they're trying to make adjustments. And again, like slight adjustments to these cars is making all the difference in handling, and that's allowing these guys to kind of maneuver their way around the track and try to make passes. So there's just a lot into it, and, and again, I understand why people don't like it on the surface, and I understand like simplifying it, but also, if you simplify anything, you can make it sound pretty dumb. So uh, I think you know, giving it a chance, and I, the Daytona 500 is a good opportunity to, to, opportunity to do that, and I think the broadcasts, usually for, they know a lot of people who don't traditionally watch are watching, so they'll try and maybe break some things down for you, especially in the pre-race stuff if you're able to turn it on a little bit and just kind of take a look at it. I think it's really interesting. I also think it's difficult to fall in love with a sport past a certain age. So for me, growing up, it was baseball. Baseball, football, and then I got into basketball right before I became a teenager. So those are the three for me. Like, I didn't grow up with soccer, right? Didn't grow up with hockey. And didn't grow up with NASCAR. And I've tried... I've gone to an NHL game because I have some good friends of mine that are diehard into hockey, and they're like, you got to see a game in person. It makes a lot more sense. It's a different environment. So I went to a Dallas Stars game, and I came away immensely impressed, have a ton of respect for the sport, but I don't follow the sport. I 
did the same thing with soccer. I saw the U.S. men's national team play a friendly in St. Louis years ago against Paraguay. Didn't know much about soccer. Buddy of mine that I worked with said, hey, let's go check this out. Went and go checked it out. Came away immensely uh, impressed and respect the sport and even saw an MLS All-Star game versus the B team for Manchester United years later in Houston. But with the exception of kind of paying attention to the World Cup, I don't follow the sport. And I think NASCAR is the same way for me, just personally. I respect it. I understand it. But I think you have a window when you're a kid. You grew up with it. I grew up with college football, NFL, baseball, and then I found basketball. My family didn't care for hoops. My old man didn't like hoops. I found hoops because I loved watching Magic and Larry play in the 80s. And then Michael. So those are the sports that I gravitate to still to this day. Because I think when you're growing up, the sports that you you either play or watch or love or root for, they make a, a huge imprint on you for the rest of your life. And I think when you get older, it becomes harder to find time for other sports because your go-tos are the ones that you grew up loving. Baseball, football for me, and then to a lesser degree, basketball. You know, so if I find time, if I have spare time as a dad and as a husband and working full time, I'm going to I have a, a tier. OK, it's going to be. Baseball, college football, they're one A, one B, then NFL, then NBA and then probably golf. And then it's just whatever I have time for after that. So I think that's part of it, too. Right. Is that so many people that say, no, I'm not going to watch it, didn't grow up watching it. But if you grew up watching it and it made an imprint on you as a kid, guess what? You're going to be like you. You're going to be more inclined to watch it or be more inclined to come back to the sport when you're a little bit older like you did. Yeah, I, I would agree. But I do think like there's um, there's a different – and like we did it last year. We went to the Nashville race, me and my family, and my stepsister – Oh, that's a flex. That's a flex. That's well, a I mean, flex. not really, but uh, no. I so, went to the Nashville race last, last year. What's up? And uh, but but the people we went with, you know, some of my family members were that weren't into it ever. Like my stepsister um, and her boyfriend, who had never really been exposed to it, became like big fans and have kind of been following it since then, uh, just because of the whole experience. So it's definitely. And I've heard the same thing about hockey. I actually haven't been to hockey match yet. I was supposed to go when I was in Tampa, didn't get to. So that's something I want to do as well. But those are the sports that I've heard the most times. Yeah, like being there is a completely different experience, and you understand it way more when you leave. The other thing about being at a NASCAR race, they do a good job. Like the PA announcer is doing a little bit more describing than like you'd have at a typical sporting event. Um, and sometimes it's hooked up to like the MRN like broadcast that we'll have, or you know whoever's broadcasting the race like we'll have on Sunday. Um, and so those things can kind of allow you to be there and not feel the pressure of like, oh, I'm I'm not going to know what's going on. They try and do a good job of. of I, I have one that. question for you before we hit the timeout. What best represents NASCAR? Is it Cars, the Disney Pixar movie, is it Talladega Nights, or is it three? Barry Pepper playing Dale Earnhardt, the ESPN original movie from back in the day. Go. So, I mean, I was a I love the Cars movies with everything inside of me. I was a kid when they came out. I was into it at the time. So, I mean, I love Cars. Cars does a good. There's a lot of little hidden intricacies about Cars yes. that are references to things that are really funny. 
Um, Talladega Nights isn't terrible, but I like you know it's a little over the top. But it's <laughs> you think? Yeah, but um, <laughs> no. And three, I mean, three's maybe a little bit more on the dramatic side, but uh, all of them have. I ain't going of it. back to the mill, Daddy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, the car series. Look, I mean, all three of them. I think outstanding. Are fantastic, outstanding. We got to take a timeout. Hopefully, we can get Toby Christie on. The man is in. You know, look, people are wanting the Toby Christie, because it is Daytona 500 weekend. Hopefully we can have them on maybe on Monday to recap the Daytona 500. We'll try to have that set up for you. But coming up, we'll finalize the poll question of the day and get you set up for Kevin Foot and Footnotes. That's all next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, everyone is apparently part of the game family. Brother, 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 brother. Seriously, how many brothers does Ray have? Good morning to you, brother. Back to Ray and all of his brothers right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Uh, I want to take a moment to thank our guest, Justin Hill, McNeese baseball coach, Byron Starks, LSU men's basketball coach, Dan Favalli, NBA reporter for Bleacher Report. And uh, shout out to our guy, Toby Christie. Had some phone issues. We'll try to see if we can get him on Monday to recap the Daytona 500. Poll question of the day. We asked you, will you be watching or listening to the Daytona 500 on Sunday it's the great American race. 68% of you say no, 26% say yes, 6% say maybe. B-Rad says, when y'all talking best NASCAR movie, it's Days of Thunder. Robin is racing. That's right. I forgot about Days of Thunder. How could I forget about Cole Trickle? Possibly the greatest character ever created for cinema. Oh, man. They had the Hardy's car in that, too. Outstanding. Thanks to all who voted on our poll question of the day and left your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Another week in the books, bud. You survived. Are you ready to leave yet? Have I already decided? Have you already? Do you already feel like you need to escape and, and, and feel like you need to leave? Because I tend to run off producers. No, I'm just excited to go watch my Daytona 500 by myself with none of the listeners and you not interested. And I'll just. <laughs> Pay attention. I'm going to pay attention. Calm down. Ryan Blaney, though, I like his chances this weekend. We didn't even get to talk about the actual 500, but, you know, Martin Truex Jr., last full-time season. Kevin Harvick, same. Same, yeah. Some of the old guard. Well, Truex now is kind of up in the air, but Harvick definitely. So, yeah, should be interesting. Jimmy Johnson coming back to run this race, seven-time champion. He's running it as a one-off type thing, so it should be fun. It will be a good time. Busy weekend in the world of sports. Crossover season has arrived. Let's see. The Cajun women play this afternoon. Don't forget LSU Baseball, their game got bumped up from 6.30 to 3 o'clock now. First pitch live will be 3 o'clock this afternoon right here on the game. Western Michigan versus LSU, the number one ranked team in the country, begins its campaign, hopefully, to Omaha. For the producer, Dawson Iserlow, I'm Raymond Parsh III. We'll do it all again on Monday, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foote and Footnotes is up next right here on the game. <laughs> 